Which is now officially a Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. Was that the best AEW pay-per-view of all time? I don't think it was the best. No, it was damn no, good. no, it wasn't. Top five. Top five for sure. Top five fucking mm-hmm. pay-per-view. Definite pay-per-view of 2022 so far. AEW Revolution. Top to bottom. There was very little fat in the card. Uh, very few complaints I have. Whatever you're chewing on, don't do it the whole stream. So, <clears throat> let's just get the negatives out of the way first on this one, because they're few and far between. I think uh, one negative, uh, but it was almost necessary evil to happen on this. First off, let's pump on the brakes on the negative thing. Um, first off, I am Ethan Hubbard. Uh, you can find me at Johnson Collins three on Twitter, and to my left is my esteemed co-host Clinton Davis. You can find me at PK Batman on Twitter and TikTok. Uh, and then we, you can also find us at on a forklift pod on Twitter. That's our community page for all the latest updates. You can also find us at channel Snickerfritz on YouTube. If you're watching us on Twitch or tw- uh, Twitch is PK Batman 420. If you're watching us on YouTube and yeah, holy shit. What a, like I, I got two negatives. And I'm just going to knock these negatives out of the way because I really, really want to be positive for this whole thing. Stop fucking running pay-per-views till midnight on Sundays. Start at an hour early. I don't care. I'm going to be positive the rest of this episode. That's my one big critique is if you're going to run a pay-per-view on Sunday, it can't run till midnight. We've got shit to do in the morning. I got that shit at six o'clock. start to buy it at six if i can be home by 11 i'm cool it gives me an hour to calm down and go to bed before i gotta be up at eight that's the only negative i really have the only other one is not really a negative but it's more on the whole like five hour pay-per-views on a sunday and you know we're going to talk about something that just deserves praise uh and that's punk and mjf what a fucking feud AEW's best feud, period. Do you have anything to add on that? Do you think there's anyone better than that that comes to your head? Well, currently, no. I was just going to get the neg out of the way first. and, the, and Go ahead with your neg, because that was my one neg. Um, so my, my, my negative on this, and it's almost a necessary evil, was the um, <clears throat> the only spot in this entire card was the Britt Baker-Rosa match, in my opinion. It's the same shenanigans over and over again. Uh, Britt's got her cronies and Rosa's uh, kind of alone. But I, we talked about this in person yesterday, and it's it's almost necessary that this happens this way. San Antonio on March 16th is, uh, it's in Rosa's home state. She's, uh, it's going to happen there. I think, as Russ has said in the past, and, and Clinton has said as well, um, that I, th- I think it's going to be a steel cage match. You're going to yeah. eliminate the outside interference. You're going to take everything away from it and... This is one of those weird times where AEW, who's not necessarily known for rubber matches, I think really the Adam Cole, uh, Orange Cassidy is the only other one that I can really think of. Um, that wasn't is, really a rubber match either. Because Yeah, th- this yeah. is one of those rare times with them that, that I feel like it's actually necessary. 
it needs to happen, but it needed to happen for the or this needed to go this way. Um, otherwise, I just your secondary women's title outshone your um, main title, which you then debuted a new title as well. Um, and, and the debuting of the new title was the high point in this match. It was definitely not the best outing by either person, and I am really kind of tired of the shenanigans that take place in the ring when these two specifically have put on a match before that was just an absolute banger you know what they can do you don't need to give us every other little thing you understand what they're capable of and what they went out and showed like the definite worst match on the card was Britt baker and thunder rosa but those ladies also had the very very difficult task of following punk mjf Mm-hmm. which was emotionally like mentally draining like was there blood and violence yeah but that match was mentally exhausting which is a critique that i feel like they because i said last week when they announced that the world title was going to main event i thought that was a bad idea i thought the second you put punk and mjf out there they're going to emotionally drain that crowd and the crowd's going to go dead for a few matches and that fucking happened because they were dead for the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match. Uh, what match came after that? Was that Moxley? Trios. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was Moxley. Moxley and Danielson. Uh, Danielson. Yeah, yeah. Brian Danielson, and like that match was probably the best wrestling match on the card. But the crowd was dead until the last five minutes because they were still recovering from Punk MJF. Like in this instance, that match was bigger than the title. Well, credit to the guys on the card, though, for not just giving up. It, it's it's one of those things that uh, everybody that followed followed that match went out there and did give it their all. I'm not saying they didn't. I feel like the, the Rosa Baker match was a little bit different. Um, I feel like that was a means to like, – that was just a transitional match. It was there because it, they needed a women's championship match on the card, but not because it really was going to be impactful with anything. Uh, Moxley and uh, Danielson, absolute banger. Once again, these guys show that no matter who they're in the ring with, they are phenomenal. Um, And then probably the biggest surprise of the night was just how well the trios match worked. Um, No, the biggest surprise of the night was fucking old man fucking pissed off dad (laughs) of Danielson and Moxley came there, slapped the shit out of them and put them in their place. William Regal, oh my god, William Regal leading up a fucking violence wrestling faction with Moxley and Danielson at the helm. Oh, fuck, I'm gonna put a load into the fucking ceiling. So excited for that. So fucking excited. So So many positives came out of this fucking show. Biggest problem with always with these sweet groups is they always have shitty names. And this is probably gonna sound shitty, but I like technical violence. Yeah, I was trying to think of unscripted violence and then the technical wizard that is. The, yeah, that works. I kind of like yeah. it. Yeah, it's going to be better than whatever they do with the Undisputed Era. Kid. Yeah. Paragon's the rumored one for them. Yeah, that's that's what it's been uh, since Kyle. Was it Kyle opened up his mouth and said that? Yeah. But he did do the air guitar this past week, so we got two we, we got two shows in a row, Rampage and then this, with Kyle O'Reilly doing air guitar. So Which I just love Kyle O'Reilly. He's one of my favorites. I could watch him all fucking day. But the one thing I said pretty much after every match up until Punk MJF was how the fuck are they gonna top that? Right. 
because the card was structured phenomenal. Layla Hirsch and Chris Statlander, in my personal opinion, had the... Now it's a show. We were just talking about how fucking well stacked the card was in the placement on everything. Up until Punk MJF. Adrenaline in the bowl on the Cody Rhodes to WrestleMania. Yeah, Cody goes. No, no, no. Guys, I am so happy on so many levels, and I am so thrilled to be here with you wonderful gentlemen this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Russell Joy, Joy on Broad on Twitter and from Snow the Goalie podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. I cracked out the truly lemonades for this uh, this episode today. So Wait, isn't your isn't your uh, fridge just... isn't your garage fridge full of that shit? Me? It is. It it was. Mine was. The mango the mango's the bomb. I like the mango truly lemonades. The mango's good. The um the strawberry takes me back to a really embarrassing story from berlin germany i'll i'll leave that there but the watermelon one i'm not a big watermelon guy but the watermelon lemonade one is good this episode of on a forklift wrestling podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at truly sign up today at truly.com backslash judy bagwell enter the promo code forklift for life that's forklift the number four life to get zero percent off that's truly.com this is a sponsored podcast, y'all. <laughs> they don't know it, but it is. It's the uh, true, the true world order, huh? See that? Uh, oh, that right. is that's actually kind of brilliant. No, we were just talking about. Uh, I was about to say that Layla Hirsch and Chris Statlander had far and away the best women's match on the entire Revolution card. See, I really liked the Jade Ty Conti match. It was I, because I, they kissed. You pervert. No, no, it's not. It's not. Look at two. Look at look at both of the look at both of those women and look at where they've come in mm-hmm. such a short amount of time. So Jade was a virtual unknown a year ago. Yep. You knew she was athletic. You knew she was built like it, she was built like a star, but she had no in ring experience. And Ty was a cat was an NXT cast off. So the work and effort that both of those women have put into everything has made that great. I think those two. I think those two are the most improved by far over the course of the last eighteen months. Which yeah, I mean that's great and all, but I'm still standing as a wrestling match. I thought that Chris Statlander and Layla Hirsch killed it. Not to say that Jade and Ty wasn't fantastic for a seven minute match they killed it they fucking killed it there's a problem though i i want to follow your logic here and i will say that i was a little bit surprised by how good the leila hirsch and chris statlander match was but there's one there's one part of it that that i can't get over and it's it's the lack of believability chris statlander has such a solid base and a solid frame and is so much stronger that like the believability of Layla Hirsch being able to legitimately compete just isn't there. Like if you put Layla Hirsch against Britt Baker, who's overrated and I can't believe is still champion, like that's one thing. Like that, there's a believability there. You put her against Thunder Rosa, also believable. But you put her against Statlander, like I, I feel like Statlander is top three in the division, or should be top three in the division, and so to me, there's not a believability there. Like you look at it, and, it, and it's the ultimate. Um, big sister came back from college and there's like the freshman in high school or like the eighth grade 
little sister who's always felt slighted. Like, that's what this looks like to me. Never mind the fact that, like, they tried to set Layla Hirsch up to maybe be a baby face, and she's got the Russian colors on, and right now that's not the best look, so. You see, I I, I wanted Layla to win because I, I think she's a great wrestler. I think she's mm-hmm. in the same ballpark as, like, a Chad Gable, where she's small, so that's going to, like, stunt her from what she's able to do, but she goes out there and she hangs with pretty much every single person that she's in the ring with. That's no slight on her whatsoever. She is a phenomenal worker, but I do agree with the whole like David and Goliath thing, which they do pretty much with Nyla Rose in every match. I think the only match that hasn't been David and Goliath with Nyla Rose was Chris Statlander. Because I comparatively say that like that Gable this would almost be, it's not quite at Gable versus Brock in terms of like size oh, no. differential. But oh, it's, it's a lot. But, but, <laughs> but to me, like, that's a closer, that, like, that to me is a, a closer comparison, right? Like, that's the lack of believability. The difference there, of course, is that they're both amateur wrestlers in that case. And, like, maybe, maybe, boy, I'll tell you what, we could talk ourselves into a Chad Gable Brock yeah, wrestling match. Yeah, right we now. just did. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about Roman Brock. Issues, you know, like boy, I dude, I love his character right now. Chad That's Gable so right now is fantastic. I, oh, thank yeah. you. I really hope that Orton isn't injured, so we get this four-way tag match. In He's Asia. not. He was at MSJ or MSG. Thank God. He because wrestled. this, because this is my favorite Orton. Cody was been. there too. Well, yeah, but not for a long. different Cody. A different Cody was there. Not not Cody Rhodes. Dakota. Hmm? Never mind. Okay. Anyways, yeah, I thought I thought the Statlander and Layla Hirsch was cool. Layla Hirsch got the win when she hit her in the head with an, uh, an extra turnbuckle, and then did a pretty damn good springboard moonsault for the win. I would say this is about a three out of five match. So the biggest problem with small people wrestling larger people is that everything is trying to be a replicant of a Rey Mysterio versus the Big Show or Rey Mysterio versus the Giant. And the one thing that Rey had on his side was a pre-established, like, pedigree of wrestling background from that point. And the smaller people now don't have that same luxury. And I think that's the biggest part, like, the lack of believability. Rey Mysterio, when he came out and he was the small guy doing all of that stuff, it was so unbelievable because there was nobody like that. And now there's a decent amount of people like that. Like, you could give me Layla Hirsch and Marco Stunt, and I would believe you that she beat the shit out of Marco Stunt. Sure. But, like, I I get the point. And I'm not saying, like, if she would have won by, like, a roll-up and grab of the tights and stuff like that, little smaller people doing stuff like that. Ray used to win that way, stuff like that. That's that's where the believability factor comes into it at. This one I can see because they tried to play on the emotional heartstrings of it. She did use... She did use... A, a foreign object, uh, if you will, to win the match. Um, but, but that's the only time she's going to win. I can't see when, it, when you go to this when you go to this match on Wednesday and you have Layla versus Rosa. Rosa's going to win the match. I mean, we already know that, but the, it's kind of that thing, which is okay because you know you need to have Rosa get a win back before she challenges for the belt again, which. We've already been over that match. I understand you're waiting till San Antonio to pull the trigger. We can actually rate um, that match right now. We've talked about that match enough. Uh, Britt Baker got the win after some bullshit shenanigans after 
Rebel was on the apron. I counted twice. Could have been three. Three times. <clears throat> three fucking times. You get up on that. If you have a manager in a WWE game and they get on the apron once, that's a warning. They get on the apron the second time, they're gone. And your manager has to go to the back and then you got to win by yourself. It's not like yeah. Baker is a competent enough wrestler to not need cronies for big time matches. One and a half stars for the Thunder uh, Brit match. It was shit. It was about the only is bad she, thing on this card. I will get. Is she is she competent enough? Here's like the the unfortunate reality I think we're facing. If you look at her last like let's say five matches, many of which have been as champion. How many of those matches have you walked away coming from impressed? Because it hasn't happened, right? Like the the Baker feels... uh, the Baker Statlander match. Baker Statlander, Statlander was... kind of carried her to it, right? Yep. Like, and you know what? Ty Conti was the better wrestler between Britt and Ty at the full. And that's show. that's the problem. Like, and we'll we'll get to this, but like Jade Cargill started off as super green. She's still green, but you see this exponential growth every time she's out there. She's getting that much better every time. Mm -hmm. And apparently he's working with Brian Danielson, and that's obviously going to help. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, there's another level to, like, why you bring a guy like that in, right? Britt Baker's not getting that much better. Is she getting better? Yes. But not that kind of exponential growth you have or that you need. And she also didn't start at a level where you could deal with, like, let's say a 15% improvement every time. Like, if Cargill's getting better 33% better every time, right to get to whatever her ceiling is ultimately going to be fine if baker's only doing like 12 percent growth and she's not fighting that much on your regular tv programming and she's not getting those reps because she sure as shit isn't isn't going on dark right she's not on dark elevation so like she's not doing taking indie indie shows stuff like that yeah <laughs> and so like if that's the case like she's just getting passed by and like the gimmick is great and, and it's gotten over with the crowd, but, like, at some point, the crowd is really going to start to turn on her if they already haven't. Because you're not turning on the character, you're turning on the shenanigans every time. Mm -hmm. And it's so tired at this point. And it's like, all right, well, what's the next thing? Jamie Hayter's going to turn on her. So you have MJF and Wardlow, but in female. Nowhere near right? as good. But, it, but it's nowhere near as good. And there's not a way to build this to be nearly as good because... Baker is not as good as MJF is, right? So, no, and at least with at least with the MJF Wardlow turn, MJF is damn good is a damn good wrestler, and Wardlow exactly. has gotten a lot better. Jamie Hayter is a better wrestler than Britt Baker. From her day, I just all the stardom that I've watched that she was involved yeah. in, she is a better wrestler than Britt Baker. Britt, on the other hand, has the character work that Jamie doesn't have, and that's yep. that carried her. Her being, it's it's so bad that she would have made a better champion when she was injured and doing all that character work than she does being in the ring. Her her where she thrives is on the character work, and they've pulled so much of that away. Yeah, yeah. Her character work is great. Like every single time she talks, she's great. But it's just that even Roman wins matches without crony. Sure, do the Usos get involved and? Uh, fucking Paul Heyman get involved every once in a while, of course, but it's not every goddamn match. Every well, TV also... match, every pay-per-view match. It's and it's going it's going right to what you and I have said, Russ. This is gonna be a St. Patrick's Day slam inside of a steel cage. Kind of feels like it. 
where Rosa will win it, the title in her hometown. Yeah, and you know what? The problem is that, like, I, I feel like that kind of stooges off the finish, which makes it, it kind of, like, lessens it for Rosa, right? Like, it felt like last night was supposed to be the, the moment that Rosa wins. And so, like, kudos to them for kind of swerving the audience. They don't do it much, but, like, kudos to them because the, that kind of went against, I think, what people expected. But I, I'm not the biggest fan of a title change in a hometown. A regular straight-up win, like when Wardlow won at home, like, great. That's awesome. Good for you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is kind of giving away the ending, unless, unless we're missing something. But here's a bigger issue. That match goes sideways because of all the shenanigans, right? Who had just aligned herself with Thunder Rosa yeah, as a mutual as a mutual enemy who could have been out there to one, get rid of Rebel, and two, to effectively kind of, I don't know, dissuade Jamie Hayter from getting involved. It's Mercedes Martinez. She's nowhere to be found. On a show where eighty-five thousand people showed up, right? where you're like trying to get people action, you're trying to get people involved in the show, Mercedes Martinez's absence, unless it was like COVID-related or something, made no sense. It was as if they just kind of plucked the last two weeks of character work, and that like little, you know, secondary arc, they just kind of threw it out. It doesn't make any sense. It also goes back down to that thing, is is every babyface in the locker room so unlikable that no one is willing to help them? Like, fucking Ruby Soho has aligned herself with Thunder Rosa in the past. Same with Chris Statlander. Same with Mercedes <laughs> Martinez. There's not one of them women who want to come out there and help someone out to get the belt off Baker to have fair challenges for the title again. No. No, it's because That's the faces are dumbasses. Yes. Yes. Traditionally, they are, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's move on to some another positive note on the pre-show, and that was the presentation of Hook. Now, what do I give the Hook match before we even talk about it? It's five out of five. Because anytime Hook is on TV, it's perfect. He is the best well-built character that AEW have been doing. Like, as from a starting out in AEW talent, Hook is money. Hook is going to win that TNT title here in about a year. And hold that bitch forever. Until someone comes along and beats him. And then that person will become established. Someone like a Lee Moriarty or some shit. Real talk. Can you talk talk some sense to him? The Hook QT Marshall match was a lot of fun. Hook got his offense in. The crowd fucking doing it to himself. He's he's realizing it. He he's realizing it. He loves Hook. I love Hook. He's got the he's got the gimmick going and he's just really drilled down into it, but even he's starting to drown in in that sea no, of BS I loved he it. just spewed. I loved it. It's it's what I want from a hook match right now. It's the same thing what I want from a Wardlow match. I want him to come out there, get some good offense in, and win. Okay. Ethan, talk some sense. You don't um, like hook? <clears throat> so it was a good I, I it was a good showing for a opening card. You want to you want to bring eyes to a talent who generally only wrestles on Rampage. Mm-hmm. So you want to bring eyes to talent, maybe some people that don't generally watch stuff, guys that only watch pay-per-views, because they're they're out there. There are people that only watch pay-per-views. I yes. only watch WWE pay-per-views. It is what 100%. it is. <coughs> I agree. So you, you bring eyes to it, and you use an enhancement talent that doesn't matter if they lose. Plus, the nice thing is there's, there's a body type difference between Hook and QT, and so you make Hook seem a little more credible. He's not going out there and beating up one of the private party. He's not beating up uh dante martin something not that he would beat up dante martin just because 
the character's a little more protected. Uh, but it gives some validity to it. Plus, it's one of his trainers, so you know the guy's actually going to put on a decent match with him. It protects the character of Hook. It was a good little exhibition for everything. I think that's where it dies out at. I don't think it's not a match that I'm going to give a star rating to. I'm not going to give any kind of no, five. The out whole of five. five out of five things. It's, it it's, just wasn't. There he goes. It's a two star match that was expedited well, by the fact that Hook is one of the best built characters in AEW right now. Yeah. So like, there. Here's here's I think like the the fairest way to say it. Be. QT Marshall does not move the needle, right? Right. No. But we know, if, if you're an AEW fan, you know the work that QT Marshall did with this company through the pandemic. And you know that he was set across Cody with the Nightmare Factory and the not Nightmare Factory, right? And so, from to, like, to that end, maybe the Cody rub was actually a little bit helpful. But what you learn from that whole thing is QT is actually one of the coaches. And because you've built so much of the story around, he was my student. He was my student. He was my student. You do inherently like add a little bit more credibility to QT because you see how good Hook is. Hook didn't just like magically become good. Like conceptually you go, all right, like this guy trained him. QT has done a lot on his, on his body, right? Like he, he looks like a much more legitimate wrestler than Mm -hmm. he did a year and a half ago. And so you look at it and you go, all right, like there's believability i'm big into believability i could look at this and say this guy even if he's not as good as hook is now he trained him he's gonna know a lot of the ins and outs of what to expect from hook and how to neutralize and things to get in his head and so like i I saw some people complaining online that they felt like it was too competitive of a match and i disagree i think it was actually a good thing to show like hook needs the experience of fighting from from underneath Mm -hmm. and from having to to come back from adversity and so, like, I thought it was a really good match. And who, really wouldn't, know, and who wouldn't know Hook's moveset better than his coach? Exactly. Really. So that was and, the perfect like, person to get some offense in on Hook because he's trained Hook. He knows what Hook's about. He knows what Hook's going to do. So he was prepared. Yep. And, and then he, they kept on going back to the veteran offense from QT, which, <laughs> yes, QT is a veteran. He might be a slimy heel that no one likes, but everyone needs to realize he can fucking hang in the ring. He's not bad. No, he's, this- good. he's a good enough to be a coach. Is this a match that could have happened on Dynamite? It is. Mm-hmm. Like, could it have happened on Dynamite leading into Revolution? I think it could have. At some point, I would like to talk about the absolute cluster F that Dynamite and Rampage ended up being, if you look at it from the macro view of those two days. But, like, this could have just as easily been a really solid Dynamite match where you've done a decent job of building a story and you probably don't wear the crowd out as much in that five-hour epic that this ended up being, you probably didn't need this match on the buy-in. Though I do agree, there is value for the people who bought the pay-per-view who don't watch every week mm-hmm. and certainly don't watch Rampage. It is good to get Hook exposure. I just think that you could have gotten Hook a lot of exposure just doing it on Dynamite instead of Rampage. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, Hook, Hook's got his five wins, and he had his five wins. He needed something. So a pay-per-view buy-in match was like five minutes. Do I believe they needed three matches on the buy-in? No, I think if you were going to get rid of a match, Hook and QT could have gone on Rampage last week. Uh, I do think... Hey, you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to say that now. Uh, but yeah, what were you going to say? Q- say it. No, I, I was going to say the triple threat TNT title match should have been on the pay-per-view. I agree. But after, seeing, but after seeing everything with Sting and the 
six man tag and how that blew my expectations away. I'm just like, all right, you get a pass this time, but stop, stop not having the TNT title on pay-per-views. Cause this is the second pay-per-view I can recall that it's not on because last pay-per-view T uh, what was it? Full gear. Yeah, Sammy yeah. was in that 10 man tag and he was the champion. Yep. So it wasn't defended. So this is the second pay-per-view in a row that the TNT title hasn't been defended. So, so Russ said something um, about body types, about QT working on his, and that's actually going to be a running theme with the next two matches that we talk about because following this match, we had the trios match that was on the buy-in. And Eric Redbeard looks so fucking credible. Like, he just looks like a monster now. It used to be he was just a big guy with a beard, and he looked kind of just menacing he just looked menacing now he actually is menacing i think that there's a big difference between that it's not just the tattoos it's the 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 man is actually in better shape than he was and i think that speaks a lot to what goes on when these guys are on the road back when they he was wrestling for wwe these guys are on the road five to six days a week doing house shows and all kinds of stuff and it takes a toll on your body and you're unable to make yourself look that good so he comes out, which is fantastic to see him. I'm glad he's back on TV. I'm glad he's doing something. He doesn't need to be a featured guy. And if this is the last time we see him for a couple of months, it is what it is. But I, I was I was a big fan of it, and uh, I, I'm sure both of you guys have stuff to talk about about this one. Uh, for me, it was straight down to that. Fucking, he looked great. I was super happy to see him. Uh, he looked like he was having fun which is all I ever want to see my wrestlers do is having a good time. The six man tag. If it was three minutes shorter, it would have been the perfect PWG six man tag because that shit was great. I do think the right man got pinned. I think they're building towards Ray Phoenix coming back. Uh, but a really good showing for Redbeard, Murphy and King, all three of them. Phenomenal outings for him. When you're overshadowing pack in a match, Buddy Murphy in pack in a 60 man, 60 minute Iron Man match. That's the match I want to see right now. See, there's one issue that this has run into, and I like it. And conceptually, I think a lot of it's good. There, there's one weird story thing here that I feel like came out of nowhere and is misguided. It was on a was it Rampage is when they announced Redbeard. And yeah. Penta says an arm for an arm. And it's like, well, Malachi didn't break Ray Phoenix's arm. Like, that was Luchasaurus. Like, that's who yes. your qualm is with. I don't understand why we, like, tried to just whitewash that bit of history and try to pin that on the House of Black. Kind of weird and dumb. The issue here is Malachi has lost a lot. Malachi's lost a lot of steam. Like, he looked as though he was heading towards that world title picture. And maybe that was the goal, was to kind of slow that train down a little bit or to, like, slow him down from even, like, a TBS title run. Um, when, when you put him next to Brody King, he looks small because of course he does. Mm-hmm. And then you bring Buddy in. What did I say to you guys in that chat? He's a stud, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like Buddy looks like 3 million bucks. Buddy also looks like the poster child for like, you know, the Royd era, but like Buddy looks great. <laughs> and so Malachi doesn't look good comparatively he doesn't look like adam cole all right let's at least be fair <laughs> malachi malachi doesn't look like he's you know avoided the gym hold on a second <laughs> but right before the main event started we were sitting in the living room watching the pay-per-view he was like i'm just waiting for the russ adam cole needs to go to the gym message to come through 
So when you didn't send it, I was just like, do you guys think Adam Cole needs to go to the gym? <laughs> oh, man. That's why I was waiting for it, but... It was a great so, six, man. It was a great no, six, No, it was, it was very good. It mm-hmm. was very good. It was kind of... There were sloppy moments, and, like, there, there were moments where you're like, ah... This, this, I think, again, comes back to, like, the card is too long. You're trying to slam so many matches in. One, because you only have four pay-per-views a year. And I think, two, because you've done a bad job uh, balancing Dynamite and Rampage. Like, this, again, could have been a Dynamite episode. This could have been, like, a main event of a Dynamite that led into Revolution. This could have been a 30-minute match that is the main event of Rampage leading into a pay-per-view. Or it could have been on the pay-per-view card itself. But it, I, I, I don't know. I get, I get again. You're trying to convince those last-minute people who are watching it for free on YouTube or free on Bleacher Report or whatever, and you're trying to convince them to buy the pay-per-view, and this is a really good way to do it. And there's a lot to see here, and there's a lot to like. But, man, I don't know. It's just It was a lot. Spend your money. Watch the nice, show. It was definitely the match that needed a main event, the show. I mean, needed to main event the buy-in. A four out of five mm-hmm. match gets you really hyped for the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Where uh, House of Black got the win when they sprayed Black Mist into Redbeard's face. Redbeard. Yep. But a really, really nice showing for Redbeard. If that's his one and done with A&W, AEW. <laughs> Sorry, God, I'm thinking I love those burgers. Yeah, I'll take a big pop-up burger and some yeah. cheese curds and a large root beer. Have, do you have A&W buy-in? Hell yeah, we Fuck do. yeah, we do. I'm going to come visit you guys because the closest one I think I have is like in my hometown, like an hour and a half away come from June here. June 29th. I can tell you oh where three of them are off the top yeah, of dude. my head. Literally, the city I work in has three restaurants to eat at. There's Subway, there's McDonald's, and then there's an A&W that is only open in the spring and summer. All right, so I'm going to Oh, I'm gonna I can tell you where four are at. I'm literally in the center of four of them. There's one in Belleville. There's one on Van, Garden uh, City. Course. There's one in Garden City, and there's one on ta- on uh, Telegraph. There used to be and one I'm in Westland Mall. Smack dab. In the, there was. That was actually a really good one. Hey, too. Siri. Find A&W near me. I need to know. One option I found is S&W. Nope, that's, I don't know what that is. That's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> that's the assault I've, bookstore I go to to get my novellas. I've learned, I've learned one thing in switching from an Android phone to Siri, like into an iPhone. Siri is not as good. No offense, Siri. Siri is not as good as Google. Like, not even close. No. I said something like, hey, when do the Sixers play? And Siri's like, the 76ers are an NBA team. I'm like, that's not what I asked for. I got the new S22 Ultra. How is it? Fucking great! I love it. I'm That's super nice. happy. I'm getting. I'm, we're getting it for Ethan. Yeah, I got my buyout price, so I, I need to wait until I get paid next time. Okay, cool. That reminds us that this episode is also brought to you by the fine folks at Samsung. Of course, go to samsung.com/slash on a forklift and enter promo code for you. <laughs> They're actually going to charge you more. Off. They charge yeah. you ten percent more, but they'll know you've been buying from us. That's right. So after. So after that, we kicked into the main card, which Ethan and I were screaming at each other in the living room. I said Kingston and Jericho was going to open. He said it was going to be the ladder match. Kingston and Jericho open, and what a great fucking opener. In my opinion, Jericho's best match in AEW. I can't think of a better one. That was fan-fucking-tastic. The fucking exploder suplex to start the match, dropping Jericho right on the back of his head, which apparently was deliberate. Oh, it was? 
yeah, like they they set that up to for the match to start like that. Okay, because that was well, scary. That was scary. There was a lot second. of scary moments on this show, but lucky for us, only one injury occurred on the show. We'll get to that when we get to the ladder match. Well, and Jericho, once again, following with the body trend, Jericho did the work, put in the effort, and albeit he's north of 50, did his absolute best to get into much better shape than he did when he came back from the Fozzie tour. So props to him on that for actually attempting. And Eddie he Kingston. For, he, he even foreshadowed the Darby Allen miss on the uh, the coffin drop by missing the lion salt. Yeah, driving with, his yeah, with fucking knee. With, with the shins, the shins, yeah. Nope, he that got his knee right into... You saw how was his eye was swollen? Yeah. That yeah, was from that, was, that was from the knee. He oh. posted on Instagram about it. He was like, yo, dogs, nothing over here hurts. Nothing over here. But my eye right here, it fucking sucks. You sure it wasn't the back of the shins? That was you. <laughs> Your back of the shins, man. I'm Johnny Shit Knuckles. But anyways, what a, it was it was fantastic. The whole selling that Kingston couldn't win the big one, Jericho getting too cocky and going for the Judas effect, missing, getting hit with two spinning back fists and then putting a stretch. I can't remember what it is. It's an all Japan shout out, but the stretch the plum? Arm, stretch plum. Thank you. The stretch plum hit him with the stretch plum and Jericho tapped. And my favorite thing about the match was Eddie after just going, I won. Did I win? Did I fucking win? The initial time he hit the back fist and he only got the two count. I thought. They're gonna put. They're gonna give it to Jericho because he got in Aubrey's face. He's like, "Please tell me that was three. Like, that, are you fucking sure that wasn't three? I thought Jericho was gonna win that second code breaker. He hit. I, you fucking sold me a ticket. It was a fun. That was a fun match. Four and a half a fun stars. Match. Four and a half stars. Listen, partner. It was a good one, partner. I love when he says partner. partner. Oh my god, partner. I just well. It, the nice thing was you, you took it back to, so there's so much, that is the one thing we've talked about before. AEW has such this wide ranging styles that go on in their matches. Mm-hmm. Match to match, you don't know what you're getting. You're going to get the high flying. You're going to get the technical. You're going to get the traditional. There's always something for somebody. And this match was for guys like my dad, guys that grew up watching Arn Anderson, Tully, Stan Hansen, stuff like that. They went out and they just hit each other. Mm-hmm. And I, so I like part of what I like about Eddie is that he's very forward. He's I know I'm going to get beat up, but I'm going to attempt to take more damage than you can take. Or I'm, yes. I'm going to you know what I mean? It was a Japanese strong more. style match. We got two of those on this show. We got two Japanese strong style matches on one card. and It was fucking awesome. That's the thing. Just... If you if like if somebody says to you, I don't like AEW and you show them a pay-per-view like this. And they still walk away saying, I didn't like anything on that card. Then you look at that person, you say, you don't like professional wrestling. And that's okay. But don't say that you do. Because they have virtually every style that you could possibly want covered in a three and a half hour card. Right? Like, every the only thing that you didn't see on this show was a death match. But you could argue that the brutality of a death match was in at least one of the matches. You could argue maybe even two of them, right? Like, the the sheer brutality of the dog collar match, even the brutality of the the Mox match, like, there there was an element of that. And hell, there there was that strong-style realism to what Jericho and Kingston brought to the table. It was a good match. There's one problem, though. Eddie's got to keep that leotard up. 
<laughs> no, man, I love it. It looks he looks like a dude who's just there to fight. I love his body style with his character. It It's okay till the jiggle starts. When you start having like the the 4th of July jello kind of rolling out over the the waistband, then I'm kind of like, "Ah, oh. it's fun." Listen, we can go to like just above the navel, right? There we're good. You get to the belly button, we're getting a little bit iffy. When that when that rolled down and it fell out, don't get me wrong, I am not body shaming. I'm all about the dad bod. You have at it, fella. But when Jericho goes out and loses like what twenty five pounds, thirty pounds in a month and a half, like, yeah. I mean, if Jericho were like three months ago, Jericho, it would you wouldn't have noticed as much. But Jericho looked, you know, pretty damn svelte. If I might say so myself. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear. Like, I'm waiting to hear this. Well, yeah, partner. <laughs> Fucking Russ, you gotta go. I know. This was like... Oh, is that my window? <laughs> this was like the fucking two dads that finally fought because their kids said, my dad can beat up your dad. That's what this fight felt like to me. It was a great match. A great way to kick off the card. And I said to Ethan, I feel bad for anyone that's got to follow that. And we go right into a fucking luchador-style three-way tag match. Mm-hmm. Which told a great story because most of the time with triple threats, it normal triple threats, it's two heels beating up a baby face, the baby face coming back and winning. It's a much better dynamic when it's two teams beating the shit out of one team and them coming back and getting the win. The miscommunication between the Bucks and Red Dragon, the fucking Jungle Boy's a stud. That fucking German suplex off the top. What was it? A Frankensteiner off the top into a German mm-hmm. suplex. Holy shit. The whole Luchasaurus bit where he was going to run and dive and everyone run to the other side and Jungle Boy just jumps over and lands on everyone. Kyle O'Reilly's selling. Fucking Bobby Fish does not get enough credit for having some of the best facial expressions of a slimy fucking heel. And the oh, Young Bobby Bucks Fish. are just... The Young Bucks continue to prove either the, they're consensually the best fucking tag team in the world. I don't think there's anyone who doubts it anymore. In terms of like long-term and putting on consistently good matches, there's no one better than the Bucks. You can put them in there with anyone and it's going to be a fucking four and a half star classic. FTR is a better tag team. Don't get me wrong. I was going to say, that's where I was going for. But the Young (laughs) Bucks consistently have the best matches. Uh... I'll give you this. The Young Bucks are a more adaptable tag team. Yes. FTR is a better tag team. But the Young Bucks can put on a great match with FTR and also put on a great match with the Lucha Brothers. FTR cannot put together a great match with the, with the Lucha Brothers. That, that dynamic does not work. FTR with pretty much anybody else is great. That's one tag team that I just always felt very underwhelmed. Whereas, like, Young Bucks, I think... They, they pull it off better there. They, they like, can't. Ethan, yeah, FTR Ethan, can't you su- do. Were you what? surprised that? Were you surprised that Jurassic Express walked away with the win? Like, are you no. surprised that there there was no chicanery? No, no, because that's I, that was part of what we talked about. Is I actually did I call that? No. What? Oh wait, you may have. I haven't realized. I haven't. Anyway, so prediction. no, I actually wasn't that surprised that they walked away with the win. Not you that said I'm the saying because I said Red Dragon. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not surprised that they walked away with the win. I thought if anybody was going to I did, one thing I did think I didn't think if they lost the title, I did not think that Jurassic Express was going to take the pin. 
I didn't think that was going to happen because it plays into the story of, oh, well, Kyle pinned Nick or Matt or whoever it was if they won. Um, so I think it got to a point, though, when the Bucks came out for the match on Friday. At that point, I was like, well, they were just in the last match. So you basically had every tag team wrestle two matches to figure out who's to get who got in at that. You could have essentially just had one match and the remaining two members were the two teams that got into the into it. So mm-hmm. once you started having that that second tag team turmoil or whatever the fuck you want to call it, that happened. I was like, there's just they're gonna sabotage each other to the extent that this isn't going to work. So that's when I started to feel that way. Um, I, I, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that right there at the end, I thought the Bucks were going to win it. I thought it was going to happen. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, it was a fun match. It was a good time. I think the right team won after watching the match. I think the right team won um, because I think they're going to be the right team to lose the titles, if that makes sense. I don't think it does anything for those titles if Red Dragon gets them and then almost immediately loses them in a feud to the Bucks because that's what I feel would happen. And vice versa, it doesn't mean anything to the Bucks to win another title. It does nothing yeah. for them. Well, here's See, the thing. I, uh, I'm so sorry. I wouldn't put the belts on either the Bucks or Red Dragon at this point because we're essentially building up to Kenny Omega returning and going into this trios feud. Now, I mean, yeah. personally, if you want my pick for who should take the belts off Jurassic Express. It's it's pure and simple. It's Santana and Ortiz. That's the team to do it. Santana and Ortiz, like, there's not many teams that need the belts. The Young Bucks don't need the belts. Red Dragon don't need the belts. Uh, the fucking Lucha Bros, FTR, none of them need the belts. They can all do shit outside of the belts. But Santana and Ortiz having feuds with all of them while consistently defending the titles would be I think that Jurassic Express is doing great with what they have given for them. This was a great showing for them. This definitely established them as a team that is champions. The other tag team matches they have, I wouldn't say. Them beating the Ass Boys and Private Party and the Acclaim doesn't really do much for me. But them beating Red Dragon and the Lucha Bros, and uh, excuse me, Red Dragon and the Young Bucks, that establishes them as the best team. And now I want to see Santana and Ortiz take the belts off the best team. See, we have two problems, though. Like, like, see, Santana and Ortiz, this is where, like, some of the storytelling bothers me, right? Like, we go through this whole thing about Kingston and Jericho. We're using um, Santana and Ortiz as kind of like this ancillary thing that's related, right? Like, we're going to go off and we're going to pursue this on our own and we're going to get it done. And then we have that weird thing where, like, they fist bump Jericho because they couldn't get it done themselves, like that whole thing, which I didn't like. And kind of adds ambiguity to that. Makes you think that the Kingston Jericho thing is going to keep going, which I also don't like. Um, I'm not impressed by Jurassic Express as tag team champions. I think they've had good matches. I feel the same way about them that I do about Hangman Page as champion. The matches are good. The matches are even really good. Like, I can't look at one of the Jurassic Express matches and say, that sucked. Nor can I look at a Hangman Page match as a title defense and say, that sucked. It didn't. They're all good. But they don't do enough work on the mic for it to actually be meaningful. They don't make you believe in their character as a champion. Like, Hangman still feels very much like a a guy who doesn't really believe in himself as champion. We can get there at some point. But, like, Jurassic Express doesn't have it. Because why? Christian Cage is the mouthpiece. 
Jungle Boy kind of says some stuff, kind of like tries to do the grimacing look, and Luchasaurus just goes, Bleh! and you're just like, well, all right, great. But like, there are so many tag teams that can work the mic and get the job done in the ring. And like, to me, this was a missed opportunity on two levels. One, I think that this should have just been Lucha, uh, it should have just been Jurassic Express against Santana and Ortiz on the pay per view. Have it heads up, like head to head. We didn't need the the three way match. We just didn't. That could have told a good story. That could have set up, you know, that tag team having the belts. Meanwhile, you've got the Kingston and Jericho thing, and it's like, oh, who are these tag team champions going to align themselves with? Like, there's a story there that you don't have now, unless you're going to put Kingston and Santana and Ortiz into this trios thing. So it's not just the Bucks and Omega, you know, against uh, the undisputed originals or whatever the hell they're calling themselves. I thought that like what was going to happen was similar to what happened that got red dragon into the dance in the first place. I thought we were going to see like the young bucks pull off a Meltzer driver and then red dragon throw the bucks out and take the pin. And that was just going to be like a further escalation. But the, the point of the trios thing and the fact that like the trios belts are looming out there and Tony Khan himself said that like candidly, he thinks that the trios belts are going to be a thing when Omega's back. Well, I mean, that that kind of tells you everything you need to know. I think it kind of cheapens things. And I, I don't. I guess the only good thing here is that like Jurassic Express loses to whether it's FTR or to Santana and Ortiz. I think it ultimately matters. I think you can get the belts off these guys. You can say, hey, you had a You had a nice run there. You had a couple of impressive victories. Nice job. Keep building. Keep getting Jungle Boy reps. Keep letting Luchasaurus, you know, botch things, but also have some entertaining spots and like just go from there. I, I, it was good. It was good. I just there's not a long term play here, right? Like Jurassic, Jurassic Express isn't going to hold the belts for six months, nor no. should they. They have a shelf life too as a team because it's going to yeah. come to a point where Jungle Boy is going to get the exposure that he needs to be a singles guy. Because let's be honest, he does the majority of the work in the matches. Luchasaurus is a hot tag guy. Jungle Boy does 80% of the work in the matches, I would say. And it's going to get to a point where you have the natural character development where people are going to recognize and see he does what he can do. He's going to move on. Now, does he become a Matt Hardy or does he become a Jeff Hardy? Does he become the guy who, and I don't mean lifestyle-wise, but does he become the guy that that ascends to a higher plane or does he become the guy that's just stuck in the middle card forever? That's yet to be seen. Well, it's hard to compare him, right? Like if you compare him to the other pillars, Mm -hmm. right? Like who's the most likely guy to win a world title? Sam JF. And then who's the second most likely? Sammy. Yeah. And then the third most likely Darby, probably Darby. So if, if you're still at number four, which by the way, is not a bad thing, not a bad thing at all, but if you're still number four, then at some point, I think you need to prove that you're a singles guy. The thing that obviously makes the most sense is that like after they drop the belts, they get involved in the trios thing as well with Christian Cage. And at some point, whether it's because they get the trios titles or something happens that there's a Christian versus Jungle Boy thing, that to me within the next 18 months has to happen. And that might even be too far out. But Christian versus Jungle Boy, at least one match, maybe a trilogy of matches, where, like, you're getting that kid reps with people who are that next level, that next level worker, in the same way that we, we kind of lauded the QT Marshall versus Hook dynamic. You have an, an escalated version of that, right? You have an elevated version of that. Because Jungle Boy, 
is better than Hook right mm-hmm. now, is more experienced, is more polished. And Christian Cage is better, obviously, than QT Marshall. So you, you roll with that, and that establishes Jungle Boy as a potential single star. And then maybe he goes down that TNT title path. He doesn't belong in the world title picture anytime soon. But eventually, why not? I, the big and but what, what have we talked about about those guys? Those three pillars. First off, MJF best on the mic. He's the best on the mic in the company. Personal opinion, it, it, he is. So he's got the mouthpiece. Sammy can also talk, and then you've got Darby who can talk when he needs to in very small spurts, but he's very effective when he does. And and that's where yeah. you leave Jungle Boy at. Yeah, I, like I said, very very good tag match. Uh, a definite. Any any match so far you could pick for match tonight, uh, and then we go into the next match, which is the face of the revolution ladder match, which had Keith Lee, Powerhouse Hobbs, Wardlow, Orange Cassidy, Ricky Starks, and Stocks. and Christian in it, which I thought was a serviceable ladder match to follow the two matches that had. A lot of people were saying they were expecting a North American title ladder match. I didn't think so. I thought this was a nice, fun, money-in-the-bank-style ladder match where you had three nice big men in there who could do the big spots, who could be anchors for the little guys to do really cool spots like Orange Cassidy skinning the calf on a ladder to almost stand on a ladder that I think Keith Lee and Wardlow were holding up. That was Mm -hmm. cool. Uh, The only injury to come out of this pay-per-view, though, was Orange Cassidy getting fucking yeeted 20 feet outside above... Uh, Starks and Christian's heads and him not fully getting caught. So Orange Cassidy, Orange Cassidy's probably going to be out for a while, probably concussion protocols. He probably got a concussion from that or a shoulder injury. I don't want to speculate too much on it, but that's what it looked like for me. You had the big table spot with Keith Lee and Powerhouse going through. Starks okay? Starks is okay. Okay. That was scary. Yeah, Starks got his hands behind his head. Stark's okay. got his hand behind his head. He confirmed that he was okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, it does. They, we, we, tech, we, we had messaged a lot about this match. All of us. Well, we, Clinton and I had talked, we had messaged Russ. Um, they utilized everybody's skill set to the best of their advantage in this match. Um, you did really have one guy out who was actually the guy who is known for ladder matches. He felt like the one piece that didn't really fit. Um, I do feel like on the inside, though, he was directing a lot of it. I feel like he was talking to guys and helping direct the match, and that's why Christian Cage was in there. Otherwise, um, the big guys did the big guy stuff, the little guys did the little guy stuff, and in my opinion, the right guy won. Yeah, Wardlow absolutely needed to win. He won. I thought Keith Lee was going to, but I think they made the right call having Wardlow win, especially with everything that came on later in the night. Uh just a really, really good spot fest for a ladder match. And you never get to see big, beefy men doing ladder spots. But Powerhouse Hobbs putting that ladder up in the corner and then doing a stalling suplex off of it was great. Keith Lee mm-hmm. and Powerhouse holding that ladder up for Orange Cassidy to stand on was great. All I didn't like the big brawl in the middle of the match. No. That's just me because then you, it was just those three leaving the three skinny guys to fight in the ring for the which then essentially turns into a triple threat because they were away from that ring for like eight minutes mm-hmm. it, it felt like yeah the the one positive that comes out of this match and this is where we like to run parallel storylines is keith lee didn't need to win that match because now keith lee gets to be thunder rosa 
Thunder Rosa loses in the TBS title tournament and then is able to go and challenge Britt Baker. Keith Lee loses this match. He's now able to enter the world title picture. It never made sense. This is my issue, I guess, with his debut and, and the way that they debuted him. It never to me made sense to put him in the TBS title or in the TNT title picture because that's not what he should be aspiring to. And that's not what you should be signing him to, to chase. He should be going after the world title. Wardlow, on the other hand, makes far more sense as a guy chasing the TNT title. Can we talk about the fact that there is a potential here? Because I, I, Sammy's got to be done with this title soon. Can we talk about the potential of Wardlow winning the TNT title? And like after two or three defenses, who returns? Miro. Mm-hmm. Oh! Mm-hmm. Give me that in my fucking veins. That'd be fucking great. Now, uh, honestly, I think Sammy's losing it Wednesday. I to think Scorpio? he's gonna. I think he's gonna lose no. to Scorpio. I think he's gonna lose to Scorpio, and Scorpio is gonna be a transitional champion. Yeah. I don't think they want Wardlow to take that belt off of Sammy, but I know they want that belt on Wardlow immediately because it's you gonna further to. the it's gonna further the MJF story. Which you also nothing. have to like do something to appease, not to appease the guy, right? Like it's not as if it's there's a threat that he's going to leave to WWE. We don't know when his contract's up, but like it makes sense now. He's polished enough. He's mm-hmm. he's got the Goldberg thing going right now with the with Powerbomb Symphony. You you ride that. You, you ride, ride that guy for a while. You ride it as well as you can and get the most out of it. And right now, the most they're going to get out of it is a really, really good turn on MJF, which we saw later in the night. And it's like that pop was fucking massive. They're building up Wardlow so well. They're giving him TV exposure every single week. They're giving him squash matches just to show how fucking dominant he is. The one on Cesar Bernoni was great. And by the way, shout out to the Camarada one was good too. It was. That was also another good. But speaking of hoss fights that are like, because we don't ever talk about Rampage on here. J.D. Drake and Keith Lee was a fun hoss fight. And J.D. Drake deserves a lot more TV time than he gets. I'm a I, big fan of J.D. Drake. So I think one of the I think one of the other things that helped Wardlow in this match is as cringy as it was that they left the ring and you left all the all the smaller guys in the ring to fight him taking out both of the larger competitors which who are both arguably larger than Wardlow himself adds to some credibility that he hasn't had by having these squash matches the Caesar Bernoni one was standing because he was large Nick Camarado's a big dude too but he's not quite as big as Wardlow Keith Lee's name carries a presence behind it. And to an extent, Powerhouse Hobbs does as well because he's tied himself in with Taz, and Taz's name, well, it doesn't carry as much weight as it used to, it still does. So there's there's a level of stuff that comes with that, and that's the, about the only thing that Wardlow has been missing. The dude's got the look, the dude has the moves, the dude has the entrance music, he, he's got the crowd behind him, and just his body language carries him as a, as somebody who's m- much further progressed in his career than he actually than he than year wise he has than the time that he spent in the system. It's that argument of exponential growth again, similar to Jade, right? Like Wardlow as an in ring competitor has gotten far better. And here's the thing that he doesn't get enough credit for, and it's it's uh, it's something that's really worth talking about is that. Wardlow on the mic hasn't gotten a ton of exposure. He's gotten better. He's certainly a more competent on mic guy. But his facials, 
his facial expressions tell the story, right? We we'll get to that later with the with the with the the punk turn, right? But the guy can tell a story now, not only in ring, being imposing, being a freight train, but man, like the the guy without saying a word gives you everything you need to progress a storyline. And that's not something we could have said about him six months ago. Mm-mm. So kudos to him. He's Seriously. great. He's, you guys know I've been a big I've been a big Wardlow guy for a while now. That's the one thing you and I you and long I time. agree on every single week is that we love Wardlow. We don't so, we we kind of we kind of fucking disagree on a lot when it comes to wrestling. But the one thing we love. What do is we Wardlow. disagree on? Bro, I see your post on Facebook. We don't. I mean, on a fucking Twitter. We don't agree on it. What did I? Wait, what did I? What if we not agree? Oh, oh, oh nothing oh. from the pay per view, and nothing that I can call off the top of my head. But I've seen some of your posts where I'm just like, mm, I disagree. Let's go. Hold on a second. Whoa. I'm not going Ethan, through your full Twitter this. feed. Refer- no, no, referee this for a second. What did I say that was so egregiously offensive to you? God, I want to clean fat. Let's get it out. Don't, don't you dare. Oh, J- Judge Mills Lane's here. Lane, no. Don't, yeah. don't, don't yeah. act like, uh, don't act like you don't know what you're talking. No, no, no. There's I do know what I'm talking some, about. I've seen it. stuck in your crawl. What's wrong? What did I say to upset you? What wrestling uh, take did here. I possibly okay. have? Had? My wrestling takes are right. I don't know how you could. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I am supposed to be an impartial judge here to this. I didn't yep. say Brandy Rhodes deserves to be like the next women's champion. Like what? No, we agree on that too. We agree on Brandy. You know what? I'll, I'll say this. You're because I don't find anything from the past week, so we must have agreed on a lot this week. Because, mm-hmm. uh, nope, I don't think Andrade should have won. Oh, Andrade absolutely should have won. No, because yes, he should have. Because that could have led to a lot more intrigue in this match, in the six man match. Because Andrade won, you need to put a belt on. You need to because at this point, you're you're consistently like there is a, a legitimate concern that he is in a worse place on this card than he was with WWE. He can't continue to be a guy that loses to smaller guys. And the Sammy Darby thing, you could have just done a very easy thing. Darby hits a coffin drop. Andrade comes in, throws Darby out because he's twice his size, and he picks up the win. It doesn't even matter if it's like a good, clean win. To me, Andrade needs to have some kind of a belt on him, and it's especially going to help to insulate him a bit when inevitably Jeff Hardy comes into the promotion and tries to like this break Wednesday. Matt Hardy free. Yeah. Like uh, Andrade should have won that match. And it was a hell of a match. It was a great three-way match on probably on the best match they've ever had on rampage, to be honest. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. Andrade needs a belt because but otherwise it also shows like, that Derby they're... Allen's the dumbest person in wrestling. Cause why don't you just fucking pin uh, Andrade after the GTH, which no one has kicked out of yet. Yep. So, no, but you got to go for your coffin drop, which gave Sammy the ability to win. I thought Darby was dumb in that aspect. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm right again. No, still Sammy. Next match on the card was Jade versus Ty Conti. Who have I been bigger on than Wardlow? The only person, maybe, is the biggest star potential in the company. The one guy that Vince, or the one person that Vince McMahon would do the Stacey Keebler gift for. All over again. You know what I'm talking about. Stacy's yeah. dancing on the desk, and it's oh yeah, that's good stuff right there. Jade Cargill is the biggest. She looks like the biggest star. If you put every women's wrestler across the country, you put WWE, AW, Impact, New Japan Strong, 
ROH, you put them all together, line them up, and you say to 15 different wrestling fans, who's the biggest star? Without a doubt, 14 of the 15 pick Jade Cargill. The other one will be Bianca Belair. Yep. Yep. And it's not even close. Mm -mm. Jade Cargill came out looking like a freaking mega star. Mega star. And got the... The Grammy Award winner on Holy the, uh, the shit. guitar. That dude was making love that was to that guitar. He was. I love somebody tweeted there. They're like, yo, good on Keith Lee, man. He goes out and does a ladder match, and now he's playing with <laughs> the guitar. Soon. <laughs> oh. And no, the, between the Mortal Kombat outfit, which also, by the way, if I'm. It's not AOL Time Warner anymore, but Turner was in cahoots with Warner at one point, and WB owns Mortal Kombat, so. Or, or is in with nether realm anyway um no she's absolutely fantastic in my opinion she's the anti-goldberg because goldberg was brought out as just a massive force and never got better like what you saw was goldberg and he just was and jade you kind of had that feeling at the front where you're like okay they're just gonna have a run roughshod over the stuff and she's taken that and went no i'm gonna make this my life i'm gonna do this and a fucking props to her because she is good. She she's making she's making the TBS title feel more important than the women's title, and that's what you should do with with secondary titles. What a fucking outing for her too. This was her first pay per view. This was her was first it? fucking pay per view match defending the TBS title, and she fucking killed it. And the, the, take nothing away from Ty Conti because Ty Conti looked great in that match those two worked the perfect david and goliath style match and jay gargill busting out the fucking frog splash holy shit the talk she got on that frog splash mm-hmm. was amazing further proof that she's taking it seriously daniel bryant is expanding me, her game brian danielson said i'm jealous of the wrestler that she is because she walks out to that ring with more confidence and charisma than i have ever done in my entire career Yep. Can we talk about how fucking hard she kicked Anna Jay though? Oh, yeah. she kicked the <laughs> into the shit edge of the her. table. Oh. And you can tell, like, there was that tiny, like, that was her Randy moment because she kicked her, and there was a split second where she turned her head and she went like that, and then she got right back into the character. So it wasn't quite the like Randy and the Singh brothers thing but it was enough to like there was some realism there where she's like shit i just hurt her um and then she's like back at it let's go she made up for that fucking chair shot no but it was it was a great great match to calm the crowd down while still being entertaining to prepare Mm -hmm. people for what was next me personally this is three out of five it was a better match than the women's championship match 100 percent like by by a long shot like, like by, by considerable. I amount. think if you were to swap the positions on the card for the women's title matches, I think Thunder and Britt may have been a little better, but this match still would have been better, and I think it would have kept the crowd alive after CM Punk and MJF. I think we can that, agree, gentlemen. Yeah. This match fucked. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got it some did HLA what it was for the to first do. time in a while. Well, I mean, the funny thing is that so many people didn't understand the reference, like why it happened. And they were just like, oh, she's just trying to get in her head. It's like, no, she's she's playing up the, the Jade kiss from Mortal Kombat. Like, that's yep. that's that's the play here. It's it's actually, I mean, it's smart. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the nice thing here 
And I think the reason that people aren't going to turn on Jade the way that like they might have if Tony continued to say that, you know, she's Goldberg is that you can see that she's putting in the work. Yes. It's so evident that she's mm-hmm. gotten better and that she's taking it seriously and that she's continuing to expand her arsenal. I, I don't know. I think that like for more, maybe more than anything else, a wrestling crowd wants to see that you care. And especially for somebody who came into this industry as not like a long-term trained wrestler, but as like a model, as a fitness model, like she's taking it seriously and she looks legit. And like, I'm sorry, but like, if you put her in a program right now against Britt Baker or against Thunder Rosa when Thunder Rosa wins and Jade's like, listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to be that, that two belt bitch. Like I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I honestly see the only way that Jade loses it is if like Tony Storm comes in, which maybe will happen at some point, but like you need somebody to come in to take Jade out. Like it needs to be somebody who's believable in that position but then immediately send Jade after the the big belt. Mm-hmm. The much better looking, by the way, belt. Because otherwise, like, there's nobody in this division, nobody, who should beat Jade Cargill. None. Not a soul. So if you notice, when things go right in wrestling, it gets copied. And what has WWE done? They brought in Nikita Lyons to essentially try to recreate what's happening with Jade Cargill right now. You brought in another fitness model who is, um, you know, an opposing figure against the rest of your uh, roster, and, and and that's where you're at with that. But um, props on Jade, great outing on this, and uh, really fun match. I had a lot of I, – I was presently surprised. Clinton decided to go to the uh, liquor store and get chocolate during this match. I so, did. I was high. Um, I – Sat down and watched it, and it was fantastic while I was fixing a chair. So um, I watched. I've watched the whole pay per view today while I was at work. It, that match hit pretty hard. I felt bad. You hear that, Verizon? Get your fucking hand off the microphone. It's so nope. staticky when you do that. Can you hear me I now? Don't, I don't Good. know what to do with my hands. Put them at your fucking side. I can't. You understand? Shut the fuck up. I am the equivalent of a NASCAR driver. Anyways, let's talk about the match that I want to talk about the most, and that's Punk and MJF. Five stars. That's a a bad match. What? You see, that's what I'm talking about. It's a bad match. This is where the crowd died because they were emotionally spent. Everything about the match. From the fucking Punk entrance to the whole Max getting on the microphone early in the match and asking him to quit and Punk telling him to eat shit. The pile driver on the apron, all the work to fucking MJF's hand to eliminate the salt of the earth submission. Wardlow coming out when MJF was just crying for him. The thumbtack spots. The most well-built thumbtack spots I've seen in a minute. MJF had the best sell of a thumbtack spot I've ever seen, which is him sitting up from the dead, just eyes up and just pure white in his eyes. MJF gets hit with a GTS after Wardlow turns. CM Punk just stares at Wardlow. He pulls the ring out of his pocket. Whoops. Sets it down. Punk clocks him in the fucking face with it. One, two, three. I wanted MJF to win. Don't get me wrong. But that was a beautifully told story that you can lead into when eventually MJF wins the belt. Punk and MJF for the title. 
Five stars. It was, my favorite. My favorite program AEW's done. I've made a complete 180 on it. It's the best program they've done. The match was endemic of the entire build. It's been an overrated mess of garbage. The match was maybe the worst one on the card. It was slow. Worse than Baker and Rosa? Yes. It was slow. It was methodical. It told a story. It was brutal. It really pulled at your heartstrings. As a it was a bad match, man. It was a badass match, man. It was oh, okay. and I loved it. I loved every second of it. That's great. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it was fantastic. It was so good. Um you're right. The thing Son that was like stunning. I know. The thing that was stunning about it is you watch the crowd and like the way that the crowd didn't react to the to the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match where they're just like, Oh yeah, they just it's a time for popcorn yet, honey. I don't know, maybe. Like they were just drawn to it like i felt myself just like i couldn't look away because there's just this slow build i i don't i actually the one thing i don't agree with is the thumbtack spot like i thought the like adding the comedy into it of like mjf really selling it i thought kind of took away a little bit but i don't i also didn't think you needed thumbtacks because it's a dog collar match i thought it was like it's brutal enough you don't need that but i it was it was very good the Mm -hmm. the i had a moment where i thought to myself for a second like when when um, MJF duped everybody with Cult of Personality, I was like, what are you going to do now? Because you never do that on a show, right? Like, you never have somebody punk with the intro music and then have the guy come out to his intro music. And so when the when the lights dropped, you started seeing the, the smoke and the, the light and everything, I was not a Ring of Honor person. I couldn't have told you what his theme was. I remember people... Um, you know, throwing out the idea that he might have gone with that song when he debuted in AEW, that he was going to leave Cult of Personality behind because it's associated with WWE. But, like, even for me, I don't know what his song was. I didn't know if it was by AFI. I, I, I had no draw to that, but I knew what it was. Like, I knew that he was hearkening back. And because they had planted the seeds in the couple of episodes leading up to Revolution, where there's callbacks to his ROH days and that stuff starts going around Twitter, like, then it was it was just brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, seeing the shorts, I knew the shorts. The shorts I understood. I honestly was a little bit surprised that he didn't dye his hair. I thought there was a chance that, like, mm. when you see him go all in on the ROH stuff, I thought, all right, like, is he going to come out with, like, the bleached hair? And he didn't, which is probably a good idea for a guy his age. But, like, still, I, there, there were so many levels to this that were exceptional. I wanted MJF to win conceptually, but once he came out like that, I was like, they can't, you can't have him lose. This is punk. Punk can't lose with that. Like, yeah, it has to be right. That's damn good. This should have evented. This should have made evented. Absolutely. That's where you have to have balls as a booker. You have to, you have, there are people who believe that if you don't main event, the pay-per-view with the world title match, that it diminishes the world title match. And that is so dumb to me, right? Because it it totally throws the concept of storytelling out the window. It minimizes the importance of storytelling. This was the best build. This was the most intriguing storyline. This was a story that for a week had people who hate the biggest heel in the company reaching out saying, 
I'm also a, uh, a Jewish man who went through similar things, who also had coins thrown at him, and that connected with me. Or my son has been bullied, and that was a really brave thing you did. And you get all these people who are saying, my God, this guy, I hate him, but he touched my soul. And then he goes out and he busts the dude open, and they're hanging punk leading up to the pay-per-view. That's a freaking story. You might never tell a story quite like this one. If there's ever a time that you need to main event the pay-per-view with a non-title match, it was this one. This isn't me, back. It was, it's, it's inexcusable to have it be where it was on the card. It needed to relative to everything else that was coming after it. But like this should have been the main event. And I don't think it should have been close. That's how you end the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. A big fucking babyface turn. The babyface coming out on top of a brutal fucking story that spanned months, longer than fucking Cole and Hangman did. Yep, longer. This that fucking, was hot, it, that was that was like a hot shotting. Those yeah, two it together. was. Like really, like did they have a good match? Yeah, but the Ooh. main event of this show, and I guarantee you, the match that people that people paid to see was Punk and MJF. This wasn't Backlash 2018 where it was Styles and Nakamura on the mid card of the show and Joe and fucking Roman headlining the pay-per-view. That isn't a situation like this. That's a, that's a time where you have to put the title on last because why? There's nothing fucking else going on the pay-per-view you end with the title. This was the best story that AEW has told. This is the best build that AEW has had. This is the most connected that anyone has ever been to either of the characters in AEW, whether you be... Fe- whether you're for the face or for the heel, you main event with this pay-per-view. You main event with this match because the whole pay-per-view after this suffered because this match went on fifth. This is the same thing that they have screwed up when they put Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson first at um, Arthur Ashe. It's mm-hmm. the same problem that they run into when they put a TNT title match as the first match on Rampage. You kill the crowd. You have to be cognizant of how the crowd is going to react and the burnout that you're going to cause because of the placement of the match relative to what is yet to come. If this is the second to last or the third to last, third to last match, and you put in like the trios match or whatever in between, okay. Or if you put the women's championship match in between, which admittedly you're putting in as a lull to try to build back up for Paige and Cole, fine. It can't be with like four more matches to go. It just can't no. be. If you would have, t- if you wanted my opinion, there should have been four matches swapped on this card. You should have swapped. You should have had Hangman and Cole go on fifth, and then put the main Ooh. event. You sh- yeah. Listen, hear me out. Hear me out. I- I'm making sense. You should have swapped those two for fifth and ninth, and then I would have swapped. Baker Rosa for Jade and Ty, because I do believe Ty and Jade would have been the better match to lead off of a world title match because that was more energetic. It kept the crowd more interested. The match really for, like we've said for Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker didn't pick up until the final eighth when it was just Thunder Rosa firing back against everyone. I feel like the card would be damn near perfect. If you would have swapped those four matches around. You could have kept everything else the same. I do truly believe that the eight, that the six-man tag should have been the penultimate match. That was fantastic to build into a world title match, or in this case, it would have been Punk and MJF. But that's my only gripe, was that 
we don't get tired from watching exciting wrestling. We don't. We can watch a PWG event from start to finish and feel like I can watch another PWG event because they go and go and go. When you take everyone emotionally in the middle of your pay-per-view with still a full two hours to go, everyone is emotionally and mentally spent. And now we have to pull ourselves out of that to get excited again for the fast-paced wrestling, which Baker and Rosa did not do. Which I feel Ty and Jade could have done very well. That's it. I'm going to go to water while you guys talk. Ethan. Hi. Hi. I I uh, I don't have opinions on this match. Really? Yeah. Um I was letting him have all the opinions on it. Um I my more important thing in this cuz I was just I I don't have a problem with anything that happened in it. It was a good watch. Um and it was a good match. I just I'm ready for the Wardlow heel turn. I'm ready to get to that. Heel turn. The, Wait, not what? the heel turn. I'm ready for oh, Wardlow face, to, the to face be tr- the face okay. turn. I'm ready for yeah. that. I'm that's that's where I'm at. So after the ladder match, I'm like, when's it happening? So lead up, it happens at the end of this. His facial expressions tell the whole story. There's no talking. Punk gets the win. The right guy won in this case. Had that not had he not done the whole you know had they not started off with everything with the the theme switch up all of that stuff. MJF winning probably would have been the right thing or MJF or finishing out the same way it was. Um, it was a great match, like you said, uh, or like you guys said, the emotions uh, pulled everybody else out of it, and, and, and that's that's where it was at this point. Five out of I'm five sure if me. I go, I'm sure if I go back and watch it, I'll feel a little bit better about it. I was a little preoccupied at the time, but, uh, you know, still a good match. And uh, we've talked about the Baker-Rosa match enough, so we'll mm-hmm. skip on to the next match on the card, which was Moxley and Danielson. This match fucked. This match yeah. was aggressive Honestly. and beautiful and just just everything. So this was just straight up dudes fighting You touch your mic other. one more time, I'm going to break your fucking mic. I'll break your touch fucking hands. Touch my mic like I'm going to beat my dick later. Listen to me. This Super match easy. was awesome. And Super that, ladies and gentlemen, is, is why he missed so much of this match. That's not why I missed so much of this. When this match was fucking was awesome. He means he was touching his microphone. The best part about this match was, and this is what, what people need to realize in wrestling can happen. You don't always need a heel. You don't always need a face. I understand Brian is kind of the heelish tactic in this case just based upon his general aura that he brings with them to the ring. Moxley's kind of the face because the crowd's always behind him. But the crowd's behind both of them in this case, and you got everything that you wanted and everything that you expected out of it. These guys bled with each other. They bled for each other. They bled against each other. It was hard-hitting. It was it was paced correctly because you got two guys that know how to frame a match. They know how to start it. They know how to end it. Even after the bell rang, the action was still there. The emotion was high. The tenacity was still there. And it led to one of the best endings of the night and one of the better surprises that doesn't involve an in-ring competitor. Yeah, William Regal coming out to stop his two sons from fighting was pretty fucking cool. I think that's the problem, though. I love Regal showing up, and not because it's a great moment for it, not just for the the smacking your protégés around, which is 
awesome and is really the only way to kind of center those two and now gets to tell the story of those two teaming up, which I think is great. And I'm very much looking forward to like Regal behind the scenes. If there was any question about does Tony Khan trust anybody to potentially run Ring of Honor? If you hired William Regal and you're not immediately handing the keys over or at least handing over a spare key to William Regal, then I don't know what we're doing here. No. Like if, if you can't trust the guy to do Honestly, let's just pull back for a second. Regal and Cody together running Ring of Honor is what should happen. Mm-hmm. You know I don't you know I'm not a big Cody guy. But like Cody found Jade, Cody found Wardlow, right? Like or at least those two Cody found Sammy. Cody. Like Cody's a has a good eye for talent. And if his idea is to like make the transition into being like the death de booker, then like he sh- then he and Regal together working on developmental, even though I don't necessarily love that as what Ring of Honor should become as a developmental like NXT. Like you put those two together as like your scouting department. Ah, like it's great. So anyway, I love Regal. I feel like the Regal thing though is the most memorable moment of the match. Like I don't right now have three spots from this match that I, I look back at and say, those were the defining moments. I look back and I say, Regal showing up and smacking those guys around and saying, shake each other's hands. That to me is the lasting memory. And maybe that's not a bad thing. It might not be, but that to me is like the moment where like, there's no better time. You couldn't have brought Regal out on dynamite and smacked them around. It had to be there. Mm -hmm. But that to me, that moment kind of, I don't want to say overshadows the match, but it's like the antithesis of the um, exploding barbed wire death match fizzling out. You don't remember anything about Moxley versus Omega, even though it was a really good match. And even though mm-hmm. there were good moments in it, you're left with the aftermath as the thing that kind of is burned into your brain. I think, at least for me, it is maybe not for you guys, but for me, it is. I well, don't for- think that that's a bad thing in this case though, because it's leading. It's this match wasn't about the match. This match was about the future with these two. It was about getting to that point. And the match, you knew was going to be a solid match. These guys weren't going to show you anything you haven't seen from them yet. I didn't think so. There was a chance they could because they're both trustworthy guys. They're guys that can work well together. They they know each other. But this was getting to what Brian Danielson had brought up about bringing people under their wings, about getting to that point. So are these the guys we're going to see go on to make a run at the tag team titles? If that's the case, that's one hell of a credible tag team. There's Mm -hmm. one small thing about Regal coming out that I really liked, and it shows the purpose that with which Regal is there. He didn't come down the ramp. He came alongside the ramp. He didn't have entrance music. He was there for a purpose. He wasn't there to make it about himself. He was there to enhance the guys that are in the ring. There's no better person in the fucking world to do that than William Regal. He, exactly, I'm with you. If Cody and William Regal are running Ring of Honor as a developmental brand for AEW, there's no bounds. There's no limits for that organization. Like, WWE would be dead in the water if they had to go up against AEW and Ring of Honor on TV, because I'm pretty sure they're still getting a TV deal with Ring of Honor. They should run Ring of Honor on Tuesday nights. 
Mm-hmm. Ring of Honor should be a ter- should be almost like a territory show. Don't change your don't change the 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 system that Ring of Honor had with where they go. They play small venues. They don't get into the large crowds. You don't do <clears throat> things like that. Use Ring of Honor as your location to if you have a working contract with New Japan, bring them over. Continue the War of the Worlds thing. Have the people experience the country that way because then oh hey i saw that guy on a ring of honor show or i saw that lady from stardom on a ring of honor show or something like that it's not like oh my god it's minoru suzuki but unless you watch the shit you don't know who suzuki is it's not it's like if they were to bring sonata over right now on the he might be the iwgp us champ but if you don't know who sonata is then that means jack shit to you Mm -hmm. yep no, but I thought this match was great. I thought the roll-up finish was a great finish for it, where Danielson had the choke in, the triangle choke, and Moxley just flipped over him to get the three count. They kept beating each other up until Super Angry Dad came out, slapped the shit out of both of them, and made them shake hands. Honestly, the best wrestling match of the night was that match. The nice thing is, too, that the report came out after Revolution that Regal has been hired to be on uh, on screen and behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And you needed somebody. How do I put this in a nice way? You need somebody to rein Captain ADHD in. You have to. If yes. you're going to make a, a meaningful next few steps, you have to have somebody that's got credibility that he also thinks he can trust. I do believe in my heart of hearts that Tony Khan wanted Jim Cornette at some point. But Cornette just wouldn't do it. I don't think that there was any way that Cornette was ever going to come in with the the a lot of the guys that Clint especially likes. I don't think that he was ever going to come in. I think that actually now, like if, if you had had this crew, if you had had a, like a lot of these former WWE guys and a lot of these other guys that were NXT that were misused or were heading down a misused path, if you had that like 18 months ago and you said to Cornette, this is what we have, uh, maybe there's a chance. But like Regal is certainly a guy who's proven an ability to find talent, develop talent. And like if you're Tony Khan, even if you have convinced yourself that you have to be involved in everything and book everything, if you don't have the humility at this point to say this guy's proven it and I can trust him or rely on him, then there's a there's a bigger issue at hand. Like then in that in that case, you are the the kind of like you know, rich kid that everybody just wants to make you out to be, that the detractors want to make you out to be. You have to be willing to delegate some responsibility and you have that guy now, without Mm -hmm. a doubt. And somebody who, by the way, if the idea was that like Cody could potentially pull some of the young AEW talent to WWE, Regal could just as easily turn around and probably pull a lot of really good talent that not only were on the NXT roster, but have made the main roster and credit Regal as being a guy who took them to that next level. There's a real value play, big picture here. And I love it. Uh, this guarantees this is Johnny now Gargano. a war. Yeah, this guarantees Johnny. I don't care. I know. Is that, is that bad? Well, yeah. So here's you my don't... question. You talk about the Cornette thing. So say Regal stays on with just AEW. He's only handling AEW stuff, and he's trying to make sense of the main show booking, which I think is where he should be at. So say you bring Cody back in to be involved with Ring of Honor. 
Who would you rather put with him? Would you rather put a? Uh, would you rather bring back Kerry Silken, who's in a, in a Ring of Honor original, knows a lot about bringing this stuff up? Would you rather put a Jim Cornette, who I think actually would work really well with Cody, just because of Cody's background and appreciation with it? I know it sounds crazy. He but hates a, Cody. I like know. He, I don't know if you listen to his show. He hates Cody. I know, like, but I feel like I feel like he hates him. I just that, or do you bring Gabe back? You could bring Gabe Sapolsky back and, and guys that he was scouting for Evolve and stuff before that went under. Maybe. There's so many things to do. There's so many options. There's so many things that you could go with here. But Regal's the, Regal's the best the best choice to bring uh, in, to I rein in, honestly, like you said, to rein in Tony Khan. If there were a chance to actually bring Cornette in, like I think it would just be to hand him the keys to Ring of Honor. And let Regal be the guy with Khan to work on all of the AEW stuff, including Dark and, and Dark Elevation. See, like the, the big issue that I have, just like conceptually with what Ring of Honor is and could be and all that, is like I think you should run it as a brand. I don't necessarily think that it should be a developmental. Dark and Dark Elevation should be fully developmental. They are useless shows right now as they stand. You should not have to watch them to understand what's going on on the show. And there are so many talents who have been lost in the shuffle because they can't get on the three hours of national TV programming that it almost makes sense to loan them out to Ring of Honor, right? Like FTR said on Twitter that if if the Briscoes don't watch out, they're going to come take the Ring of Honor tag team titles. And I'm not saying that I want that. I think FTR belongs on AEW. But if you're not going to find a spot for them, or you're not going to find a spot for Santana and Ortiz, then send them to Ring of Honor. And let them make that a legitimate brand. And then once a year, make a Survivor Series between the two brands. And like let that actually be a legitimate heads-up, champion versus champion, put it all out there. And like that to me makes sense. But I don't know if they're going to do it. What's he doing? Is he okay? He just heaved, heaved a cat out the door. No, I walked him out the goddamn door because he's sitting here trying to chew on cables underneath my desk because I'm not giving him attention. An so, asshole. Well, that leads us into the trios match where Sting tried to kill himself. It was a spot fest. Yep. It was a very, very good spot fest. It was a pilot cleanser for the main event. It was exactly what it needed to be. I felt like after I saw this match, if you put the TNT title match here, it would have completely overshadowed the main event. This six man was a great, great, great match and exceeded my expectations in every way. That Spanish fly off the set through the tables was great. Sting jumping off and crashing through four tables was awesome. Darby Allen missing the coffin drop completely and still pinning Matt Hardy for the three was even better. I don't have any complaints with it. It was just a, it was a movement into the into the main. Yeah, into the main, which was Adam Cole versus uh, Hangman Adam Page. Let's I thought go the Adam. I thought the sucks that fucking killed me. The whole let's go Adam, and then eventually they turned into let's go, let's uh, go uh, Cole, like Adam Cole or Hangman Page. Like eventually turned into that, but for the first half of the match, they were all chanting for Adam. Adam Cole coming out in the cool Spartan armor. I like that. That was pretty fucking stupid. cool. It was stupid. That was cool. stupid. That was stupid. And you know why he did it, right? 
because he hasn't gone to the fucking gym in three months. And so the way that you make yourself look bigger coming down the ramp is by putting on Spartan armor so nobody sees that you haven't gone to the gym in three months. Honestly, of all the matches on the card, I know this is sad to say this is the one I have the least to say about, which I shouldn't be saying about your world title. But like I said, every single match after CM Punk and MJF suffered tonight. Last there, time. there was a time, and, and I'm sure Russ knows what I'm talking about. So they're on the outside of the ring. They've come off their camera side. They're on the outside of the ring, and they're walking around. And JR, or Excalibur makes a comment about how Adam Page weighs 26 pounds more than Adam Cole. And I'm sitting here going, where would you put 26 pounds of weight on Adam Cole to get him to look like Adam Page? And I'm like, realistically, no. He weighs 30 to 5 to 40 pounds more than Adam Cole. Easily. And I, I just, this is the most, which I. Go ahead. Say there's it. Just, say it. Don't you dare he say loses, he you loses, say it. He loses credibility because he. he I don't care if you don't look okay. So there's guys that don't look like jacked or whatever, and that's fine. You don't have to, you can be a good wrestler. Adam Cole's a good wrestler. Adam Cole's a great wrestler, but he doesn't look like a great wrestler. FTR don't look like look, great wrestlers. No, actually, well, FTR are different actually, though. Cash, cash looks, cash looks more like a wrestler than Dax, but they're not like, they don't look like Buddy Murphy. No, they but you look, don't have to. Strong. You don't have to look like that. But they yes. still look. They look farm strong, is what I would call them. They look like sure. blue collar strong. Adam Cole looks like he's doing what I do right now. Adam Cole and I have bodies built like milk. Like that's what it Art, is. The thing that killed Adam Cole's credibility wasn't just here. Let me piss off Clint. The thing that killed Adam Cole was the stupid feud with Orange Cassidy. No, I don't disagree because, at all. And it wasn't just because Orange Cassidy is a gimmick guy. He can actually go in the ring. If Orange Cassidy were pulled from that gimmick and the human being who plays Orange Cassidy were just a wrestler, we would believe him. But the gimmick is what it is. You put this guy who everybody knows in their heart of hearts is this gimmick wrestler who can go, but is a gimmick wrestler against this guy who's like supposed to come in and like be a world title contender. They line up against each other and the guy who's supposed to be a world champion, Adam Cole, stands next to Gimmick Guy and Gimmick Guy looks like a professional wrestler comparatively. There's your problem. And from that moment, it it undercut any credibility that Adam Cole has. At least physically, it undercut him. If you would put Adam Cole in a match against QT Marshall, you'd be like, oh, QT's bigger, but like, I don't know, he doesn't look like, he doesn't necessarily look like a pro wrestler, right? He looks like a, a guy who like has gone to the gym before and, and it's whatever. Adam Cole doesn't look, if you put Adam Cole and Sammy Guevara in the same ring, Sammy's going to look like a pro wrestler. Yeah. He's, he's going to look, look skinny, but he's going to look skinny fit and also bigger. I don't know how you overcome that if you're Adam Cole. It's not as bad as like the Layla Hirsch thing that I said, like against Statlander, but like I don't know where you can put Adam Cole and not have him look so much smaller. John Silver is a short guy who still has muscle. I mean, like has muscles, right? And like, yes, he's gimmicky. Like he's gimmicky, but like. 
he looks strong. Mm-hmm. Adam Cole doesn't look strong. And like there is nobody in the world title picture that you could put him across from that would be believable. Maybe Danielson, maybe because they've worked a they've worked a match together. But I think arguably Adam Cole looked more buff and fit when he was with NXT than he does in AEW, which I also can't wrap my head around. NXT was smaller guys though. No, but I'm saying even when Adam Cole went up on like after the Saudi show and beat Brian Daniel Danielson. Bryan. Beat Daniel Bryan. No, 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 because they're different people. Beat Daniel Bryan. Like, that was more believable looking. If you put those two guys in a ring right now, I think Danielson looks much more legit. You I don't know what you do. Somebody like like Kenny. Look at him against Kenny. You can't. No, it, it would be awful. Against the Bucks. That's the other thing. I forgot this. That's the other juxtaposition that's really bad. Adam Cole in the ring with the Bucks. I forget when it happened. Uh, when you see them like in their ring gear, but like, oh, it was it, they were doing a trios match I think on Rampage like a month and a half ago, and I looked at it and I went, I don't look at the young bucks and say those guys look built or those guys look strong. I look at those guys and I say they work a certain kind of match that you love or hate, but like I don't I don't equate them mentally with big strong. They but have an achievable Cole, body style. Yes, and compared to Cole. They I have achieved that body bigger. style. <laughs> Good on you, fella. <laughs> Wasn't hard. The true, the true world order. Sorry, I know I hijacked the whole thing here, but like, Clint, I don't even think you, like, I don't know, you have the look of somebody who's been told, like, your girlfriend's not the one. She, like, I'm sorry, and she might be nice to you sometimes, but like, you need to end it. It needs to end. That's what you look like right now. I don't care about body rep. I don't care about body imaging and wrestling. Like wrestling has always been like, it's, it's a, it's a make believe dance. That's what it is. It's dancing with they have fucking to be spots credible, and shit. Though. Yeah. And you know Rey what? Mysterio I, beat I, Kevin Nash, here's the right? thing. Here's the thing. Here's he the thing. Incredible. I, hold on. Hold on. I've, you, you've talked. I have. I've been watching Adam Cole for seven years. Adam Cole has had the same body style all seven years. And I've seen him go against the likes of people like Kevin Steen, the Briscoes, Jay Lethal, people that are bigger than him. So I know what kind of wrestler he is and I know how believable he is. I'm taking nothing away from the way he looks because let's be real here. Like I'm not taking anything away from Keith Lee either, but Vince put him in a singlet because he didn't like his body style. No matter who you look at, there's going to be someone in the world that doesn't like someone's body style or says they're too small for a certain division or anything like that. Me personally, I don't look at any of that. Can you go in the ring is what I go by. And Adam Cole for the past four years has been able to go. And he went tonight. Me saying there's nothing remarkable about this match. Like, if I go back and finish rewatching the pay-per-view, I'm pretty sure I'll have a lot of positive things to say. But for the placement on the card for me, it being going on at 11.20 on a Sunday night after four hours of wrestling, I'm tired. I'm tired, so I couldn't as get into it as I wanted to. But I love Adam Cole. I have nothing negative to say about Adam Cole whatsoever. I also follow him on fucking Twitch, and I think he's fun to watch gaming. I think he has a great presentation with all of his fans, and I think he is one of the best people on the mic, which if you can talk, you can do damn near anything in this business. He's a really good wrestler. 
He's a really good worker. Clint, I have to send you he something. Can't, he can't be your world champ. I have to send you I don't you care something. if he's ever world champion. So here's the thing. But that's what this... he was brought in to be, right? Like, that. that's what he was kind of billed as. They even brought up that he's a two, two-time, three-time Ring of Honor world champion. They yep, three-time Ring of Honor world away. champion. Like, you're, you're not passing him off as a mid-card guy. You're not passing him off as a secondary title kind of guy. He wasn't brought in with with that kind of thought process. If he if he had been, this isn't a conversation. They they are trying or they have been trying to build him as a world title potential threat. And unfortunately, like I don't like to say that a guy's too small. But to me he doesn't he doesn't have that look. He just doesn't. I, I just Clint I said so I sent you something. I don't know if you can pull that up. I did. But that's this is so I sent Clint a picture and this is credible to me. It's just he doesn't look like and that's I'm not asking much, but against the person that he's against in this picture, it looks legitimate. And it just didn't look legitimate last night. And I think that because you rushed, you also rushed the program. So rushing mm-hmm. the program doesn't help it either. Had this program gone on longer, had there been backstage attacks on Adam Cole or Adam Page, had it not been just a play on, hey, we know each other and we've been roommates forever, it's it would have it would have felt like there was more behind it and there wasn't. I just I'm not feel- saying the build to this match was great. I'm, no, not I'm not saying that at I, all. It was definitely rushed. But I'm just you could have also that made this plays into it. But you the whole body feel... imaging thing, it doesn't like that part of the argument doesn't do anything for me. Like I don't care what you look like in the ring. Like anyone can beat anyone on any given night. I anyway. But but the thing is, like, you could have made it a more Ethan, legitimate thing. I'm gonna break your hands. We can hear everything every time you, you... touch the mic. You could have made this more legitimate, though, in the same way that, like, the Britt Baker thing became a schmoz fest, right? Like, became too much interference. You could have done that with Red Dragon. You could have fixed an issue by having the referee throw Red Dragon out. And then you could have had the Bucks come down. Now, I know that, like, maybe the idea here is, like, the long play is going to be that Hangman and the Bucks make up. Or that, like, Kenny comes back and is with the Bucks. And, like, Hangman maybe is, like, the deciding factor in that, like, six-man arc that they're going to work on. But, like, if if you had Red Dragon doing more interference to make it feel like Adam Cole had a legitimate chance, like, that to me is how you overcome the stature difference. I don't know. Keith I, Lee? Like, if I get the body, the body image idea, like, the other yeah. way. In the same way that I said, hey, I think Eddie Kingston, like, needs to have the gut away compared to, like, having it all the way out. Like, I think that there's, like, a, a threshold. But, like... Eddie's still a big guy and his style still makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. Eddie still is, a, he's still a physically bigger guy and you believe the brawler's style. Cole yeah. just doesn't have that, unfortunately, because I think he's a really good wrestler. And I think if you were putting him in the TNT title picture against Jungle Boy, uh, Sammy Guevara, that's where he belongs. Like I, unfortunately, I do think that there is a limit. Rey Mysterio is a smaller guy height than Adam Cole, I think. He is. But what, is, but what has Rey always had? I mean, even back to his early WCW days, he's had he's had the, the muscular structure that he looks like a strong little guy. And that's what allowed you to believe he could beat Kevin Nash on a given day. Or that he could beat like a Mark Henry or a Big Show on a given day. Cole, to me, just doesn't have it. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have even like 
the wiry strong look. That's my problem. I know what I you're saying. I, I don't I, see it as a problem. I don't like I'm I might be weird, but I weird. I don't care. You can have an opinion. I don't I don't really care. Like we're past the days of WCW where everyone needs to have the the same physique where you gotta look built and everything. Like there's it doesn't, but if you take this, if you were to take this situation and remove Adam Page from it and put Lance Archer in there, it's you look like you're fighting a child. The only way that this few that this match worked is because they had history with each other. The only way this match works with anybody is because they have history, or they are, or it's somebody like Jungle Boy or Sammy or somebody along that same size stature. And it's not me being like it's got to be a big guy. It doesn't have to be. But we're also not the only people that have criticized Adam Cole for like seemingly not like putting in somewhat of the work. I just if you're in the main event, do a little bit. I that's my that's my thing. If you're in the main event picture, do a little bit. If you're on dark, I don't give a fuck. If you can wrestle, you can wrestle. There's guys that like look at Dante Martin. Dante Martin had zero muscle muscle when they first brought him up on TV, but because he was crazy good at the aerial stuff, you got over that. Adam Cole has rode so long on him being that good in the ring that it's like maybe you do want to actually take care of yourself a little bit. Like you're getting paid to be there. Just just give me a little bit. Who's a wiry, strong-looking guy? Because Darby's all covered up, so you couldn't tell. Who's a good example of a wiry, strong-looking, fit, young guy? Uh, back There's... in the day, it would have been like Paul London. No, no, I mean now. I mean like in AEW right now. If I plug and played a young, wiry, strong guy who has done a little bit more with his with his body, but is still young and is developing. Alex There's Reynolds? one guy. Now, if I took Jungle Boy and put him into that match last night, he physically looks like he has a better shot. And it's not because he's he doesn't look like Buddy, right? He doesn't look like Buddy Matthews at all. But there's more but there's more there's more credibility in his kind of wiry frame. I can buy that. If if I were a a non-fan and I had Hangman across from Jungle Boy versus Hangman across from Adam Cole, I think I, I don't know, nine out of ten, eight out of ten people say. Jungle Boy looks like a more legitimate competitor against Hangman. That's a problem. I don't know. Maybe Punk, if he were champion, and that's who you have going against Adam Cole. Like, Punk isn't as, I don't know, like, he he, he certainly doesn't look as built, maybe, as he was in his in his prime. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe, maybe that looks more legit. Punk's getting to old man strong now. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. No. That's why I think that like that might have made more sense. Like the Cole push against like a Punk might have made more sense. I don't know. The the history is there. I feel really bad. I feel like I, I feel like I I broke Clint's spirit. Nah, man, you ain't gonna break my much. spirit about wrestling. I've I've dated a whole bunch of women that just shit talk wrestling. You ain't gonna fucking take my spirit away from it. You dated one that threw. You just all call your me a lady. Away. Yeah. Just call me a lady. Are you guys dating? When's your anniversary? Can I come to the wedding? Uh, it's June 29th at Little Caesars Arena when AEW comes to Detroit. I really thought he was just going to say at Little Caesars, like we're going to pull up the table. <laughs> they don't have you know tables what? at Little Caesars. Don't you? They, don't they used to. We got better ingredients, better pizza. And that's why if you go to papajohns.com backslash on a forklift. You can get your pizza with a side of racism. 
Hey, hey, hey. Whoa. Whoa. Well, oh. that's why they kicked Whoa. him out. Better ingredients, better pizza, not Papa John's. Right. And no, you used to have we used to have chairs at them because we had these places called uh what was it, Caesarland? Was that what that was called, Clint? Oh yes, the the uh wish.com version of Charles Entertainment <laughs> Cheese. <laughs> Dude, we had a lot of them. Did you guys Russ, did you guys have major magics? What is that? So major magics is very much like Chuck E. Cheese, DZ but instead Discovery of Zone. But instead of like weird ass like animatronic rats, they had magic shows. I've never heard of it before. Everything but else like was the same. Like, like, like all that, all the shit, the games, the crawling structures, you know, the, the, the germ, the Petri dishes, that's all the same, but we, it was magic shows and it was called major magics. Then we also had kids kingdom, which didn't have any of the animatronics, but it was a, had a way cooler play place. So mm-hmm. can I tell you no, the first I... time I ever went to a Chuck E. Cheese was our son's must've been his third birthday. We took them to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, I had never gone to one in my entire life and I always heard they were super skeevy and there's one bias. That's actually nice. Like it was actually clean. I didn't feel like I was going to walk away with scurvy. Um, and then two months later, the world shut down with COVID. So I don't know if that Chuck E. Cheese is still in business, but if it is, uh, yeah, Chuck E. Cheese was a place my dad took me and my mom took me in the hopes that one of the four of us would get abducted so they could save some fucking money. Sorry, I'm not laughing at your childhood trauma. No, that's okay. It's okay. My childhood <laughs> trauma has made me a funnier human being. God damn, it's an awful shame that they that one of you didn't go. <coughs> yeah. Really. I can't imagine how they would abduct Trevor, so we yeah. got ki- we got kicked out one time because my my little dipshit fuckhead brother kept walking on the ski ball ramp. If they told him not to, because he was just like, I want the hundreds. And they had the gate over it anyway, so he was just walking up and rolling the fucking balls under, hoping to get a hundred, but it was always just hitting the ten. That's how kind of your, ju- okay, how come your family, and th- maybe this is going to be striking to you because you would have been technically the middle child in this situation. Yes. Your family reminds me so much of Malcolm in the Middle. 100%. <laughs> not even close. Like, yeah, not even a question. Like, no offense to Chelsea. I know she's not, like, I'm just I'm removing Chelsea from the equation. You, you, Trevor, and Dakota, you are literally that. But, like. Hold on. I got I got a better one for you because this is essentially what our house was. We were home improvement plus one female child. I was definitely the Jonathan Taylor Thomas of my household. And that's a horrible thing to say. Why? JTT was a stud in the 90s. But look at me. You seen JTT now? He's just doing Hallmark movies. You could be doing Hallmark movies and making some moolah. What? Thirty bucks a pop? No, thank you. To have my spirit crushed and to make forty-seven it's Christmas a... movies about finding God, I'm it's pretty good. It's the same good. thing as door dashing. Guys, I I hate to interrupt, but arguably the best RKO happened on Monday Night Raw tonight. Did he hit it off a and, frog and, splash on Montez and Ford? I, and I would, I would honestly put it up there with, um, it's, it's very close to the Seth Rollins curb stomp into RKO. Is it on Twitter? Yes. Okay, WWE on Fox tweeted it out. Uh, <clears throat> Chad Gable goes for a moonsault, and Orton hops up and RKOs him out of the moonsault. What? Oh, it's there wonderful. it is. Oh, that was pretty. I mean, it's beautiful. My that is a thing God. of beauty. 
That's like that's top two. It's that and the that's top and three. Rollins one. It's that the roll and it's gonna be hard to top the Evan Bourne one, the shooting star press. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's top three for sure. Wow, that was a pretty moon salt too. Well, uh, breaking news. Oh, uh, that was absolutely beautiful. I just RK Bro it. are the are the new Raw tag team champions going into Mania. Yep. So hopefully Chad Gable still gets a spot on the card because goddamn does he deserve it this year. Mm-hmm. It'll be one of the bright spots that I turn into WrestleMania for. Can I ask for um like the the absolution of my sins? I actually I had a really stupid moment not that long ago where I thought to myself that Chad Gable and Charlie Haas were the same guy. Um, I, I heard all these people saying how much Chad Gable reminded them of Kurt Angle. And I was like, well, he was in Team Angle in my head. That it was it was Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. And I forgot about Charlie Haas. And I'm really sorry. Please tell me I'm not going to like go to hell for that. Oh, uh, no. If you were going right, to fuck up you. one of them, it's good that you fucked up Charlie Haas, <laughs> not Shelton goodness. Benjamin. Not going like, oh yeah, Chad Gable was totally Shelton Benjamin. Shelton's <laughs> mama would be all after you. She was lovely. I enjoyed you know the what? Shelton's That's what we'll mama do. Our, our mother, our Mother's Day episode, we will do the top three moms in wrestling, top five moms in wrestling. Spoiler alert on number, number one. one. Well, we'll give you numbers five through two. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know number one, why are you watching this? Why are you watching <laughs> this? RJ, do you want to return? For for post massacre two electric boogaloo, all about TNA wrestling. <laughs> I actually thought about it. I'm really disappointed that I couldn't make WCW. I would have been the reigning, defending, undisputed WCW champion. I want to clarify: T- if I ever win this TNA thing, which hurts me a little bit, if I ever win this thing, which I'm hoping to with TNA, I will. I'm gonna. Ch- I'm going to put mine out there right now. It's not something that would. It's going to be the ruthless aggression era. That would be my pick. Ooh, so that would be my pick. But if anybody else wants a suggestion, Monday Night Wars. Monday Night Wars. Would Monday be Night Wars is a really. It. That'd be a really good one to do. Well, hopefully one of you win it, so you can pick the next one. Because goddamn, I am. My brain hurts writing this next quiz because I'm having to look up some very obscure shit. It's I'm excited gonna, for it. I'm think, guys. I'm just warning you. I'm gonna pick Noah. So, oh, I don't know you shit about Noah. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm gonna make all the questions. It's gonna be great. How many burning hammers were hit in a lifetime? That's about <laughs> the only thing I know. All right, folks. I think that's gonna do it from us for on a forklift here tonight. We covered all of Rampage six. Okay, I'm taking that one off. Oh, Clinton's like, I'm running out of questions. How many sides did the ring have? Russ, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on to cover Revolution with us. So from Clinton Davis. Ethan Hubbard. Russ Joy. We are on a forklift, and we will see you all next week. Oh. We love you, Judy. Love you, Judy.